Chris Mickens. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that is so funny. <laughs> Thank you. That's not why I have you do it, Lupita. The reason I have you do it is uh, you're a part of this community, and we love you. And we're, we're excited to see what God is going to do with you and in all that God has for you in the future, in your career, in your family, in your neighborhood, and uh, even in your new engagement to Eric, who's right here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Last, last week. They've been engagement week. So we're excited for you. Thank you. That's why you do it. Um, I do like how you yell, though. It's really great. Well, uh, thank you for reading that. Uh, perspective. Perspective is everything, isn't it? Uh, just think about racial discrimination in America. Uh, going in hot, quickly. Just think about racial discrimination in America. The color of your skin impacts your perspective on the world. It does. It does. Though my, the color of my skin impacts the way I view the world, the way it colors the world for me. And if your, your color of your skin impacts the way you uh, think about the world. And every person who's here today and across the world has a personal perspective on the world that is shaped by our experiences. It's shaped by our experiences, the color of your skin, your experiences as a child, the geographical location in which you were raised, the socioeconomic status that you were born into or not born into, the political system that, over the, uh, that oversaw or ruled over the place that you lived, uh, shapes how you view the world. And nobody in the whole world quite sees the world the way you do. You are, in fact, a unique snowflake Unique among all snowflakes, there's nobody in the world who's just like you. Yes, I found a way to work in that you are a snowflake. Um, but in the same way, a group of people, a culture, can share a perspective on the world, and this is known as a worldview. And we've talked about this before, and even though you and I might see things slightly different, there is a lot that you and I have in common. We in the West have a rational mindset, a rational mindset. It affects the way we process information and the way we extrapolate fact from data. And whether you want to admit it or not, uh, you have a deeply embedded American worldview. And the thing about worldview is that you can only see what you can see. You can't see what you can't see because that is, in fact, the way you see it. That's just how you see the world. And that's the limitations of a worldview. Every worldview has limitations. Your worldview has one. Mine has one. The American worldview has limitations. And as amazing of a worldview as you and I think we have, there are things, there are cultural blinders that prevent us from seeing what we can't see. And if we could see it, we would see it, but we don't, so we can't, right? And so as thoughtful and clear-sighted as you are, you just don't see everything. I can't see everything. And it's not our fault. That's just the reality of a worldview, all right? 
Are you with me so far? Can, are you with me? This is going to be important. Okay, so here's why it's important. Now, we in the West, when we read the stories of Jesus as Americans, we tend to interpret those stories through a certain lens, through a certain set of lenses, a certain amount of bias, a certain amount of perspective. And whether we realize it or not, when we read these stories, our minds, even the story when Lulu was reading it, when we read that story, our minds gravitate towards certain pieces of information in that story. And then we pass over other parts of information in that story. And we disregard other parts of the story because they're not valuable according to our perspective, okay? And so we look at these stories and we realize that they can teach us about love and how to care for the poor or like how to seek justice or how to have a relationship with God and go to be, be with God when we die. And that's all great. I love that. Those are, that's awesome. Yay, let's care for the poor. Yay, let's learn how to have a relationship with Jesus. I love that. But the difficult part about this is that we've been taught to read these stories through a certain set of lenses, which can actually inhibit our ability to see what else is going on. So my story about this story, the one that Lulu just read, my story was I would often read this story and go, that's wonderful. Um, next time, I just need to have more faith. Like Peter. Peter didn't have faith. <laughs> I need to have more faith. Um, and that's great. We should, like, you should have more confidence in God. I, I totally get that. But that's not what we're going to talk about today. Everyone should do that. So let me just give you an illustration, an example by retelling this story in modern terms. Now, let's say you are one of the disciples. And let's imagine that Jesus just got done completing a miracle. Let's say he fed 5,000 people Chipotle, which would be a miracle. That is a lot of burrito. Um, uh, one of, what, there's a person here that has over $300 in Chipotle gift cards. He's definitely resonating with this story. I won't call him out, Matt. And, uh, <laughs> and say, say like, he's like, okay, let's just feed, like, you know, like the kid brought the burrito and he's like, oh my God, is this burrito? And Jesus is like, no problem. Burrito's for everyone who wants double chicken. No, okay, you're, you want the, so free ties to coat, no problem. So he does, he feeds 5,000 people burritos. And then immediately, Jesus goes, okay, we got to go to the next town. Everyone board the private jet. Um, it's a private, instead of a boat, he puts him in a jet. And he goes, go uh, along the way. I'm going to go pray. I'll meet up with you guys later. So they board the private jet. They're on the private jet. They're all fighting for seats. Uh, you know, it's like a nice one. It's got those big chairs and stuff. I've only seen from pictures. Uh, and they're on the private jet. And then, and while they're up in the private jet, uh, the plane hits massive turbulence in a massive storm and the plane's going down. There's no doubt about it. It's going down and everything's bad and they're like, oh my God, I never say goodbye to my kid. And then the masks drop down and they're putting the masks on. They think they're going to die because they've lost pressure, cabin pressure. Everything is going down and it's terrible. They think they're going to die. They're crying out in total fear. Our plane is going to crash into the side of a mountain. And then one of them looks outside the little small things and next to the plane, it's like Jesus flying next to the plane. He's flying next to the plane and they're like, shh. And then for some reason, they're like knocking or doing sign language because it's really hard to talk when you're outside of an airplane. I've, I've heard from people. Uh, he, he's out there and then Peter somehow goes, if it's you, Jesus, uh, send me out to fly next to you. 
Uh, and he's like, yeah, come on. And they're like, oh, crap. So they open the thing. The door flies off the back because they're going like 100 miles and over 100 miles an hour. And he jumps out. And he, for a minute there, he starts to fly next to Jesus. And the disciples are glued to the window. And they're like, oh, my God, he's doing it. And then like he's like, oh, my gosh, we're, I'm going to die here. And then uh, so then Jesus grabs his hand and he pulls him in and he goes, he goes, oh, you have little faith. Why didn't you have faith or why didn't you believe? Uh, and he's like, oh, whatever. And then he goes, stop it. And then the plane comes, zooms back and it comes back into cruising altitude and everything would be good. Now, if that was the case in the story, and they didn't have uh, airplanes, didn't know if you knew that. They had boats. If you, if you, were, if you experienced that afterwards, I think it would be very hard for you to really focus the whole story on whether or not Peter had enough faith flying outside the boat. I mean, flying outside the plane. You'd be like, that'd be a part of the story. That'd be a small piece of it. You go, oh yeah, yeah, dude, uh, Peter was like, he ran out of, he started out right and then it didn't go very well for him and Jesus had to save him. That'd be a tiny, that'd be a cliff note. Like the bigger part of the story would be Jesus was flying next to a plane. The, the bigger story is like Jesus even grabbed Peter and Peter was flying there for a minute. And that's what I'm getting at here. And that's what I want to talk to you today. Our perspective, our worldview can sometimes color how we see what's happening in the scriptures. You see, the Bible is not just good stories. The Bible is a playbook for power. The spirit of God is just as current now as he was back then. And today I'm going to teach you a way of reading the Bible that helps to, you to see the perspective of power so that we don't miss what God might want to do with you. So, but before I do, um, I want to pray and invite God's presence. Will you pray with me? And as we pray, um, we need to turn our attention also to what's happening with Russia and Ukraine. And words that come to mind are the words uh, awful and terrible and evil, and unjust, and pain. Like this war, this particular war, we have the most highest definition cameras on everyone's phone uh, publishing things on social media in real time. We've never seen this level of perspective of this war, of, of a war before like this. Yes, we have older footage from other things, but this is different. We're getting an inside look at the disgusting realities of sin and the nature of sin and the nature of pride and conquest and greed and envy and all the things that go with it. And I'll say this, um, just as an encouragement to you, everything happening over there is like really complicated. So don't feel like you have to understand all of it today. Uh, but what we do know, what we do know as people that believe in the Holy Spirit that God's kingdom has come, that there is another team on the field. There is an evil force in the world. And that evil force is a real spiritual force called Satan. And there's real things called demons. And they exist in the world. And what they do is they animate. They animate and they influence the decisions and actions of human beings. And as we go to the Lord, we need to not just say, oh, this person's that or this, but there is a real spiritual powerful force at work here that we must pray against in the name of Jesus. And we must invite heaven to come to earth in this moment. 
So why don't we do that? And then I'm going to talk about perspective. So Holy Spirit, we lay before you, you've seen it already. You know the suffering, you know the greed, you know the power dynamics. And God, uh, but you can see a bunch of things we can't see. You can see the evil spiritual forces animating this whole conflict. And so we come to you and we ask in the name of Jesus that you would bring peace. God, we invite your peace to come into the Ukraine and to Russia. God, we ask that you would cause the fighting to cease. God, we ask that you would change hearts and minds, that, that you would soften the hearts of the leaders. Lord, um, only you can do this. I mean, it's obviously, you know it's outside of our control, but we look to you. And we look to that time when there will be no more tears, no more suffering, no more war. And we invite you to break in in this moment and make that happen now in this moment. Uh, God, I ask that you would uh, show us and shape us and help us to know what to do if there's something that you're calling our church or us personally to engage with. But Lord, we ask for your peace. Your word says, blessed are the peacemakers. And we want to seek peace and we want peace in this situation. So we're starting by coming to you and saying, bring your peace. Bring your healing where the divisions are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Is it just me or is there like a motorcycle gang going through the area? Yeah. Who's, who did the woo? Who wasn't? Anyway. Yeah. That's awesome. Can I get a little mic crank if we're going to keep having motorcycles? Thanks. All right. You have a handout. You can use it to fill it out. You can frame this um, because it's going to be that good. In Matthew 14, uh, starting in verse 22, it says, Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. Stop. Full stop. Let's go with the first word. What's the first word? Immediately. Now, whenever you read a preposition like this, what you need to do is ask why it's there. Also, if you ever see the word therefore in the Bible, you need, to, you need to learn this. Whenever you see therefore, a good question to ask yourself is, what is it there for? And so what we don't want to do is read the Bible just in the one passage. We want to understand what happened before and sometimes what happened after this. So we have something called context. We understand the context of what's happening in these verses. Now, we don't have time to go over it, but right before the word immediately, Jesus had fed 5,000 people. He fed 5,000 people, and we're reading Matthew's account of Jesus' life. But if you go over to John's account, which is a few uh, pages the other direction, if you go over to John's account, he says that after this miracle had taken place, after Jesus fed 5,000 people, the people came to Jesus and they wanted to make him king by force. They're like, wow, this is amazing. This guy can do miracles. Let's go make him king. Let's make him the king of Jerusalem. And so the Jewish worldview held that the, when the Messiah, Jesus, would come, that he would reestablish Israel as a superpower and he would push out the Roman occupiers. But what we see here is that Jesus didn't take his clues from what the people wanted him to do. Jesus didn't go, oh, they want to make me king. 
he doesn't take his cues from that. He says, immediately they left. And if he, what he did is he, what we learn here is that he took his cues from the spirit. Otherwise, why would you leave? Which leads us to our first understanding of lenses through which we need to read the Bible. Traditional lenses, if you're filling in your blanks, traditional lenses are you must petition God for more of, with, with, you must petition God more with your requests. The enhanced lenses are you must learn to listen more for God's leading. What we see here is that Jesus kept current with what God his Father was doing through something called listening prayer. And listening prayer is different than traditional thinking of what you would do. Say you fed people 5,000 burritos plus the queso and the chips and the guac. Say you fed that. What would your reaction be? I'll tell you mine. Mine would be to go celebrate. This was awesome. Let's go party. Hey, let's, grab the, let's go grab all the 12 disciples and let's go grab a pint and let's talk about how awesome this miracle was. Or, hey, let's set up shop. Let's get everyone organized in rows and we'll give them weapons and we'll go take over Jerusalem and throw out all the bad guys. That's what I might have done. I would have celebrated. I would have had a good time. I would have stuck around and shook hands. I would have done that receiving line for as long as people wanted. And they call, oh, thank you so much for the, no problem. Just happy to do it. Just doing, it's all about Jesus. I want to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I would do that. I would do that. But Jesus doesn't do that. Everyone's like, this is amazing. And he's like, let's get out of here. Let's get out of here. And you can't ignore that smashed between two brilliant miracles, feeding 5,000 and then walking on water, there's this little line where Jesus goes, hey, I got to go pray. And you get the sense that it isn't a bunch of petitioning here, but that Jesus had a prayer life where he was listening and trying to recognize God's voice. He was learning how to demonstrate what the Spirit was doing, how to join up with what the Spirit was demonstrating in the moment. So let me ask you a personal question. What does, your, what does your listening prayer life look like? Like after you have a big success, what is your go-to thing that you do? Do you go out and do something? What does it look like when you have a spiritual success? What does it look like? Um, I don't know how many of you get bonuses at work, but if you do get a bonus, what is your first inclination? Is it to go out and spend? Is it to do something for charity? What is it? Or do you go to God and listen to what you should do? What is it that you do after you pray for someone and it has an effect, like there is an actual bona fide miracle that's taken place? What do you do in that moment? And what we see is that there is something here that we have to learn where we suspend the rational decision that we want to make after God does something or we experience a success in order to pay attention to what else God wants to do. And the only way I know how to show you how to do this, the only way I can give you a practical application to do this is you have to make time. You have to make time. If you focus on using listening prayer only when you feel like it, let's be honest, you will not do it. Scheduling listening prayer time is essential if you want to do it. You have to schedule. You schedule everything else in your life. You schedule your hair appointments. You schedule your dates when you want to go on a date because some of you need to get babysitters. Others of you work really hard on the apps and you finally arrange a time. You schedule that out and you make that happen. Um, we don't have any of these here, but I just thought of this illustration. I want to use it. Um, if you're a sneakerhead, have you ever seen a sneakerhead? They're like 19-year-old dudes that haven't figured out their life and they go wait in line for hours to get sneakers. 
And they're like, oh, I want those new Air Force Ones, dog. And they're like, they're like really early in the morning on a Saturday morning, but you can't get this 19-year-old to be responsive in any other way in any other part of their life. They prioritize, they can make, I'm not picking on sneakerheads, but like I am. And like, if you can prioritize getting in line to get sneakers, because these are cool, man, that is such a good thing. And you go to the one undefeated shoe store that's near your, and you hopefully get in line and you get your shoes that you wanted. You know how to make reservations. You know how to make time for it. How much more do we have to start to think like Jesus? Jesus, smashed between two brilliant supernatural moments, goes, I got to make time to hear from God. How much more do you need to do that too? Let's move on. In verse 24, the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, Scoobs, they said, and they cried out in fear. Traditional lenses, if you're filling in the blank, traditional lens, the disciples are dumb. I'm smarter. And as we read this story 2,000 years later, we can have the tendency to use historical criticism and we can say to ourselves, well, obviously it was Jesus. <laughs> He's there, obviously. Who else was it going to be? A ghost? Uh, you know, we, we, he, these guys never get it right. They're always so, especially Peter, he's so dumb. And it, he's like always gets it wrong. And if I was in their shoes, I would have totally gotten it right. And all these people, even though life is scary, all we need to do is have more faith and belief. You know, I get that. Yeah, let's have more faith and believe. But the enhanced lenses, the enhanced lenses are different. I don't understand everything about God's power. I don't understand. And I don't understand, I would also say, I don't understand everything about circumstances. You know, when we read this through the lenses of power, we see there's a mystery. There's like a real mystery here. And I need to admit, me, Chris Meekins, I don't understand all the mysterious parts of God's power here. And sometimes when God's power is at work in a situation, it doesn't feel fuzzy and fun. It feels scary. Have you ever read any other parts of the Bible Whenever you encounter God in the Bible, it's like their first word is, the first word that the angel or the person has to say is, don't be afraid. Why is that? Because it's scary. There's something about God's power and presence that isn't always fuzzy and feel good. It can make you feel inadequate at a cosmic level. And that's what happens. You have these moments in the Bible and we have these moments in our life where we go, oh no, God is here. Not like, oh, yay, God is here. We go, oh, no, God's here. God's doing something. God is present. And sometimes, sometimes when God shows up in power, it can be a little scary. Let me give you an illustration. A week and a half ago, I got a phone call that I immediately sent to voicemail because I was in the middle of something else from my friend that only calls me when it's a moment of prophetic work. Like he has a sense that he is supposed to call me because something has happened. And it, the timing was weird. I'm like, hmm, that's interesting, but I don't have time for this. So I sent it to voicemail. The next day, there's like this guy that's famous in the vineyard, um, and he goes into rooms, and maybe some of you have experienced him. His name is Robin. 
he has a last name, but we just call him Robin the Prophet because it's more fun. <laughs> and what he does is he goes through and he talks to each person in the room and he says what he thinks God's doing with him. And it's really hard and it's really uncomfortable because every time he's done it with our leadership team, he will say things that are so clear and things that he has no knowledge about with that person. It can only be from God. So much so that when they look over at me and I go, I'm sorry, I didn't tell him anything. Like, and we're, we're all aware. He is unaware, but he, God is prompting him with what, what he's doing in the room. And it becomes this moment where people fall deeper in love with Jesus and it's super powerful, and it's always led to some sort of tumultuous moment with our leadership team afterwards. And we've brought him in a couple times to work with our leadership team. And actually, I'd like to bring him here sometime, but I don't think you're ready for this, Jelly. We have to kind of work you guys into that a little bit more. It's wild. It is wild. It's uncomfortable. And you're like, all right, God, like, like before you're going into it, you're like, oh, Lord, please help me. Like, I don't want to expose my personal sin in this situation. Anyway, so he does things in the room. And it's always us going to him. And that's the only way you get information or God's, uh, him to do kind of some prophetic leading with us. Well, Ezra, uh, my friend that I'm unnamed is calls on Tuesday. And then on Wednesday, Robin calls me and I pick up the phone and his voice is like this. It's like, Mr. Meekins. And that's how he sounds. And I'm like, please, Mr. Meekins was my dad. Call me Dr. Meekins. And, um, which is true. I'm a doctor that can't help people. And um, so he's, he's, he starts, he's like, hey, I just had the impression coming to me over and over again the past few weeks about this. And he went into some detail and he's, I just feel like I'm supposed to call and encourage you to keep going. Now explain to me what's going on. And I'm like, well, you know, a little this, a little that. I was unsure. And then uh, we get off the f- phone and I'm like, well, also I should say, as soon as I knew it was him on the phone, I was like, Oh God, what have I done? I felt like I had stepped into God's presence. I was super nervous, right? So then the next day, I have this third person that knows when to call at just the right time when God is doing something and I don't tell this person. And this is my dad. My dad is super gifted. Um, you, could, you could run the scenario that every parent is paranoid and misses their kid. This is not that case. He calls me and he goes, so tell me what's going on. I'm like, oh, and I go, I don't know. There wasn't much clearly going on then. And th- so then I start to piece it together. You've got three people that are telling me, like, hey, stick with it. I know there's something. And they didn't have any enough detail, but we're there for you. We're praying for you. We stick with it. And sure enough, that day, I get the call. And there's something that just went down that went sideways uh, in our church that I had to go figure out how we're going to clean up. And it was a mess. And it was discouraging. And I had to involve the board. And I, in that moment, I was perfectly prepared to handle it. And the reason I was perfectly prepared is because the Lord, for some reason, had prompted three people that he regularly uses with me to encourage me and say, don't worry about it, stick with it, keep going. Then the crisis happens. And then I was like, okay, I can do this. And sometimes, sometimes that's what God does. Sometimes God will give you words of confirmation. He'll bring prophetic voices into your life. There will be these supernatural moments of assurance that will take place. And usually that's done to encourage you before the, you know what, hits the fan. 
And uh, I shared this with another friend named Corey, and we, I had three of these moments in less than two days. And I share it with them, and like, we were like, well, you know, we had one person that uh, had a prophetic word that um, they had, uh, I think I shared it with you, they had 20 prophetic words for them to move to a, a particular location. Um, and the reason you get 20 is not because it's fun. You get 20 because it's going to be that difficult, so you need extra assurance. And so, so my friend and I started to be like, oh, Lord, please, no more prophetic words. We don't want this to be a difficult situation. So, uh, so but that was it. And, um, but I was perfectly prepared for that moment. Now, to me, if you don't know what's about to hit you and you're getting people calling you saying it's going to be okay ahead of the time that something happens, to me, that's a little scary. To me, that's a little frightening. But at that level, that is the kind of God we work with. There's a God that I, you know, I have yet to encounter a God or work with God or have an encounter with God where he didn't speak something to me that didn't require me on some level to have courage because I was a little bit scared. Um, so uh, let's, let's move on. Verse 27, verse 27. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. You're taking notes, traditional lenses, let's work harder to have no fear. Enhanced lenses, let's work harder to move forward in spite of our fear. Let's work harder to move forward in spite of our fear. Always, 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 when God shows up in power, it will require courage. I, like I said, I have yet to encounter God in a way where he speaks clearly that didn't require courage from me to step out and do the thing I didn't know if I could do or not. And it's the same for you. As we discussed last fall, courage is not the absence of fear. It is not something that we assign to somebody before they are courageous. We don't call the firefighter courageous until after she goes into the fire and does the rescue. We call the firefighter courageous after she comes out and has rescued the person. You don't get called courageous until you do the courageous thing. It's something we say about people afterwards. And courage, when it comes to dealing with the scary power of God, always, it will always require courage to be demonstrated. And courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is the willingness to put one foot in front of the other in spite of your fear. If you're waiting to have no fear in your life before you do things to interact with the power of God, you will go nowhere. You must be willing to move forward, even though you're afraid, even though you're scared. Think of the, think of like, you know, when you, have you ever been to a public pool where they have like the big diving boards and there's all the middle schoolers just trying to push each other off? Who did you assign the courageous moment to? Am I the only one? Okay. Uh, who, do you, who is the courageous one? It was the one that went off the high dive first. Sometimes you just got to go. Sometimes you just got to jump. And that's required here. Verse 28. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Uh, and Peter's like, what? <laughs> Really? He's like, yeah, like walk on water, duh. Uh, then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on water, and came toward Jesus. Traditional lens, traditional lens here. Fill it in. 
Sometimes God invites us to take big risks. Yeah. If Peter wanted to walk on water, he had to get out of the boat. If Peter wanted to see the miracles and the power of God, he had to get out of the boat. If you want to walk on water, if you want to see the miracles of God in your life and in the lives of the people you care about, you have to get out of the boat. You can't stay in the boat and walk on water. It's impossible to touch the water if your feet are touching the boat. Do you understand? And if you want to experience God in a new way, if you want to experience the power of God in your family, in your marriage, in your finances, in your job, in your work situation, you have to get out of the boat. In that moment, it will feel impossible. It will feel like there is no way forward. There's no clear pathway forward. And you're going to go, this is irrational. And the traditional question that we ask in this moment is generally this. We go, well, what is my boat? And what is my water? And what is water? And usually, we usually only use these questions for pre-existing issues that we know about that are currently going on in our life, either this week, this month, or this year. We only ask, should I get out of the boat and walk on the water with stuff that we already know that's going on? You all have a situation, if you're listening to me, you all have a situation between boat and water that you are working through right now that you're using as a, and you're looking at it through the lenses of, of that situation and you're thinking about it. And that's really good because the Lord is going to speak to you about what you should do in that situation. But the enhanced lenses make it much more difficult. If you want to see God's miracles, it will always require a risk from you. And here's where the American worldview begins to collide with the first century worldview. And this is the hardest thing for me to preach. And this is where it gets to the guts of what we're getting at here. The worldview shaping point here is that there is real power. And the question is, where is it? Where's God's power working and where do I join up with it? And here's the thing, and this is, this is it right here. If we believe that the Bible is true, then we must conclude that we can do the things the disciples did. And if you want to do what the disciples did, if you want to see the supernatural flow through you, then you've got to get out of the boat and figure out where God is at work. And so this is really hard because like Peter literally walked on water. And like what I'm saying here is that like as disciples of Jesus, and I wrestle with this, I wrestle with the fact that I'm supposed to be able to walk on water if Jesus asked me to do it. You understand? You understand that like this is not just uh, like uh, something that happened 2,000 years ago. Like if Jesus invited you to walk on the water for the purposes that he had set forth, you should be able to literally walk on water. And I think that's really hard for us. I think it's really hard for us because we've never seen it happen. John Wimber, the founder of the Vineyard, uh, would say uh, he has a theory about walking on water. He says, you have to do it very fast. <laughs> and um, I just, I think that's really hard. 
it's really hard for us to really grasp the fact that the disciples were doing things that Jesus led them to do as, and as Jesus revealed them those things to the disciples, they were actually doing those things and we as disciples can actually participate in God's power. Now, I'm not suggesting that you go to the nearest pool and try to walk on water. I am saying that if God told you to do it, you have to assume that you can walk in the same power and authority that the disciples did. And that's really hard. It's really hard because the rest of the world would say that's irrational. That's impossible. But we also believe that a dead guy came back to life and we're going to celebrate him on Easter. If you want to join the planning team, it's this Tuesday. We believe that someone came back to life so, and we have access to that real power and authority. Think about that. How is it when you read the Bible, are you looking at it? Is it just that we have to have more faith or is, do we have actual access to the power? Verse 30, when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? Traditional lenses, exert more faith. Enhance lenses. Experience more love. I don't see this as a rebuke, and neither should you. I see this as an invitation to relationship. Peter, you know me. You know I got you, baby. You know I love you. You know I'm not going to let something happen to you, at least now. And in the same way, in our moments, when we miss the mark, when we fail to do what we know we're supposed to do, when we don't step out in faith, the same spirit that spoke to Peter is the same spirit that speaks to you and me. There is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. And he's saying to you, just as he says to me, you know me. You know that I love you. You know that I'm with you. And listen, there is nothing that you could do or say that will ever separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And there is nothing that you have failed to do that can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. This set of verses is an invitation into love and an invitation into power. And I'm inviting you today to make the commitment in your heart that you would say, whenever I read the Bible, I won't just look for the moral of the story. I won't just think about how I need to be better next time or use it as like a way to think about my situation that's longstanding. I will look at it through the lenses of power and I'll start to ask myself, why can't I do that? Why can't I do that? Why can't I, when I lay hands on someone, see them healed from very, very bad cancer? Why? Why can't I listen for God's voice and deliver specific information that nobody knows except for what that person knows in their own head and say, you know what? I know this about you. And I'm not telling this to you to use it as leverage or manipulate you. I'm telling this so that you know that God loves you and wants a relationship with you. It's possible. The same power that you see in the Bible is the same power that you have access to. The only issue is we've allowed our worldview to get in the way of us uh, experiencing it. 
and with random people on the street, in your home or in your family, you can do this. And as a son and as a daughter of the king, you have been given full authority and power to do what we read in the book. So why don't we do what's in the book? Let's start to do the stuff, shall we? And we'll see where it goes. Why don't we all stand? I'm going to invite the uh, team to uh, lead us through worship. And as we do, I'm going to invite, um, I want to invite you. Um, uh, and I want some, someone to pray with you. And there's an invitation on two levels. The first invitation is this. And if this is you, I just need you to march down here. I mean, you need, if you, you know, get the courage that you need, just one foot in front of the other, even though you're a little afraid and embarrassed. I don't care how long you've been coming here. Uh, I've been here since the beginning. I still feel uncomfortable going out for prayer. So it's not going to get, it's not going to get new. It's not going to get over it. You just got to do it. Uh, but uh, there's an invitation on two levels. And the first invitation is this. So get down here and let us pray for you. Um, there's, there, you are here today and you want to know that you know that you know in your knower that God loves you, that he's with you, that he's for you. And as I was talking about Peter sinking and Jesus goes, I got you, baby. I'm here for you. Don't doubt. I'm with you. That is the way in which God wants to speak to you today. And I believe that as someone prays for you, there'll be a supernatural transaction where you'll be able to begin to walk in the love that God has for you. So if that's you, make your way down. And we want someone to pray with you that God, that would be your reality. The second group, there's a second invitation. You're asking God for courage to get out of the boat. And some of you are asking, this is, it would be number two point A and then number two point B. Uh, number two point A is you have a pre-existing condition or something that's happening in your life. It could be a sickness. It could be a broken relationship. You might need to break up with somebody. You might need to get the relationship back on the right track. Uh, there's something that you're going through. It could be personal. It could be someone. Uh, and, um, and this is an opportunity to take the first step. This is an opportunity to ask God for the courage uh, to step out of the boat. And then the second, uh, the point uh, to be would be, you're asking God for the thing that I'm talking about here. You're asking God for enhanced eyes to begin to see where his power is at work. And if that's you, we want to pray for you as well. So let's, um, I, I'm not going to, I just, if, if, if you, if, if one of those things applies to you, I'm going to invite you to come down right now like, don't wait. That's the song. We want to pray with you. If that's you, make your way down. Um, and we're going to start to pray for you. Good. It always takes a first person to come down. we got one here. Uh, but make your way down. We want to pray for you. We want to see God move in those ways. And so as you're praying for the person, uh, prayer team, you can come forward too. As you're praying, uh, you know, ask them a little bit, do a diagnosis as we talked about, but then really jump in right into the thing. So if you're kind of well, waiting for the music to start, the music's about to start and uh, let's, let's worship God together. And so make your way. I'm going to be praying here. So let's do that right now.